You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. so I can use you and have you do the things that I've called you to do. But right now, there are some things that are holding you back, and I know what they are. Let me have access to your life. Let me have access to your life, and I will show you those things that you can repent of, that you can get rid of, that you can destroy, so that you can come to me cleansed, clean, holy. Be ye holy, even as your Father in heaven is holy. Jesus wants access to your life, but he'll only take it if you willingly offer it to him. Today, Pastor Dave teaches you that Jesus is waiting for you to offer yourself to him. He wants to be involved in and influencing every aspect of your life. For this to happen through you, you must give up control and allow him to take over. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 2. As he begins his message, show us a sign. Turn into your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. As I was studying and restudying and looking through these verses in John 2, I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis and the third book in the Chronicles of Narnia, which is the, dawn, the Voyage of the Dawn Trader. And in this book, he skillfully uses two biblical images of Jesus the Messiah, the lion and the lamb. The lamb is easier to love. The the lamb is gentle, meek, and mild. It takes away the sin of the world. The lamb hosts the marriage supper at the last day, and it lights the city of God, eliminating the need for sun and moon. The lion, on the other hand, is ferocious. Of the 150 times that the Bible uses lion or lioness, none refer to a gentle or friendly relationship. The purpose of lions in Scripture seems to be for eating people and other animals. But in Jesus Christ, both fittingly come together. Jesus is telling the world that he is the Lamb of God in human flesh, come to remove the sorrow of sin and restore the world to perfect happiness. Now, contrast this with what happened when Jesus and his disciples left the wedding celebration. After the wedding, Jesus entered the temple, and he confronted the hucksters, you know, those religious guys who were there selling various things. In an instant, the lamb became the lion, and his passion was evident in his anger and even in his actions. Jesus is zealous to redeem his people. He is zealous. In fact, his zeal is eating him up. He wants the people to take their hearts and souls and put them back to God. They've been distracted from God. He wants to restore them to God. He does this so the work of God can be evident in our lives. I love that parallel, and I wanted to share that with you. So as we now look at our scriptures this morning, I'm going to read through a place that we've already been in chapter 2. We've already been through 13, but to get the context, I want to read down to verse 22. John 
2.13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said, had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus has said. So last week, Jesus and his family, along with his disciples, left Cana, and they traveled to Capernaum, and they stayed there for a very short time. Then Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the Passover, fulfilling the law that every Jewish man attend three feasts annually. It was written in the law that each Jewish man must go to Jerusalem and attend at least three feasts. While Jesus deliberately violated and came against the man-made traditions of the Pharisees, he did obey the statutes of the law and was faithful to uphold the entire law. In fact, his life and death, Jesus fulfilled the law, so today we as believers are not burdened by the yoke of bondage that the law gives. If you remember correctly, in Acts 15, there was this big argument about whether the new believers, the Gentile believers, should be circumcised or should obey the kosher living or the laws of meat and blood. The big thing was they should be circumcised. And in 15 verse 10, I think it's Peter who's standing up before them, and he says this wonderful thing. He says, now therefore, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. That yoke he's talking about is the law. What are you putting that yoke on their heads for? They couldn't, we couldn't obey it. Our fathers couldn't obey it. Now you expect them to obey it? You're setting them up for failure. Jesus fulfilled the law in its entirety. Everything he did fulfilled it, completed it. In Jesus, all the law is complete. So once in Jerusalem, Jesus went right to work. He revealed his zeal for God by cleansing the temple. He threw out the merchants who were selling animals and the money changers with the preachers set up to make a profit. And what probably began as a convenience suddenly became a business, not a ministry. And as I reread this and as I looked at this, it became quite obvious to me that we need to be extremely careful that we do not allow any ministry to become a business where profit is gained. I believe that with all my heart. All my heart, I believe that. We are to serve the sheep, not fleece them. But there was a problem with what was happening, and there was a bigger problem than them just selling and exchanging money. It was the place where they did everything. It was in the court of the Gentiles. Now, remember, the Gentiles was a place where the Jews had been meeting with the Gentiles and should have been telling them about God, the one true living God. It was where the Jews were supposed to go out into the court of the Gentiles and make the proselytes, make them converts, and teach them the glory of the one true living God. 
But any Gentile who was searching for the truth probably couldn't find it because of all these religious merchants and all this selling. It looked like a market. It looked like a, a flea market or, or a Kmart or a super Walmart. These merchants only wanted their money. They were not interested in showing them God. Oh, Lord, never let it be so in Calvary Chapel. Never let it be so. The Lord suddenly appears in the temple and he begins to clean house. He fashions the whip out of cords and drove the selling and the changing people out. Remember we said that the, the Greek word for drove out is suggesting violence, suggesting force. He didn't meekly ask them to leave. No, he drove them out from his father's temple, his father's house. He wouldn't stand for the pollution that they were causing. He wouldn't stand for the distraction. And what's interesting here is the condition of the temple was an, an indication of the spiritual condition of the entire nation. The, the entire nation needed cleansing. The entire nation of Israel needed to be cleansed, which is one of the reasons Jesus came. The religious system was dull and had become routine. They were now trusting in the traditions of men more than the commandments of God. And Jesus railed at them. Worldly men who were corrupt and unjust presided over the activities of the temple. And their desire was not to teach people about God. Their desire was to become rich. Their desire was to get profit. Whereas chapter 2 began with the conversion of water to wine, and we see the stark contrast now of the cleansing of the temple. But as we discussed last week, the two are linked together. Both deal with Jesus' desiring to bring joy. We read in chapter 1, Corinthians 6, 19, that our bodies now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We said that there are things in our lives, things in our temples that are ripping us off, just like the money changers and those selling animals. There are things in our lives that are keeping us in bondage, just as the priests and the money changers who ripped off the people of Jesus' day. There are things in each of our lives, and only you know what those things are, and you might not even know what they are, but God does. God looks into the heart, and he sees the trouble. Jeremiah said the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Well, God knows it. God knows your heart better than you know your heart. And there's a direct connection between the conversion of water to wine and the cleansing of the temple. At the wedding feast, joy was produced, and at the temple, there was judgment. The lion and the lamb. If I'm to have joy, the Lord wants to drive out the sin that is so easily besetting me, the sin that is in my life, the sin that has been hiding deep in my heart that I won't let go of. The Lord wants to drive it out. He wants to cleanse me from within. Joy and judgment walk hand in hand, believe it or not, because without joy, judgment would be unbearable. But without judgment, my sin would run rampant. After conversion comes cleansing. We know that there is pleasure in sin for a season, but after that, destruction follows. You can find that in Hebrews 11, 24, and 26. But because of this, our gracious Savior lovingly says to you, I want to go through your life. I want to overturn the tables in your life and drive out those things that are ripping you off. I want to go through your life so I can use you and have you do the things that I've called you to do. But right now, there are some things that are holding you back, and I know what they are. Let me have access to your life. Let me have access to your life, and I will show you those things that you can repent of, that you can get rid of, that you can destroy. So that you can come to me cleansed, clean, holy. Be ye holy, even as your Father in heaven is holy. So as we come to today's verses, we see Jesus' ministry is in high gear. 
It's only been several days or even several weeks old. We don't even know how old his ministry is at this point, but he's really moving. He's already shown his power to the disciples in Cana at the wedding. And now he's exercising his authority in Jerusalem in the temple. He is beginning a battle with the religious leaders that will not end until his death. This battle that he is now beginning will not end until his death. He knows exactly what he is doing. He is beginning to expose the hypocritical religious systems for what they are. And they are going to take exception to that, and they are going to come after him. So we read in verse 18, which is where our main thrust of the study is. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus cleans the temple, and the Jews ask for a sign. Jesus cleans the temple, and the Jews want a sign. The Greek word used here is semion, meaning miraculous or signal or a mark. Their question is not really out of order. It's quite logical that these religious men, to ask Jesus to show him the source of their, his authority. After all, they consider themselves guardian of the Jewish faith. They consider themselves high and mighty holy men, and they truly believe that they had the right to test any new prophet who might appear on the scene. Show us a sign. This was not a request. This was a demand. They demanded that Jesus show them a sign, prove to them who he was. Their demand rose from the facts that the Jews expected God to perform mighty miracles when the Messianic age came in. So what were they asking Jesus to do? Show us that you're the Messiah. Show us that you're the Messiah because what Jesus did in the temple, that was Messianic. That was clearly Messianic. He acted as a reformer of the Jewish religion by changing the way they worshiped God, by changing the way they were going to connect with God. And what's interesting here is the Jews did not ask or question the rightness of his actions. John doesn't record any of this stuff. And it's interesting also that John doesn't record any of the sellers or those people going, hey, wait a minute, we have a right to be here. Nobody complained. There were temple guards all around the temple. Where were they? They didn't do anything either. They did nothing. The religious leaders did not ask why he did it. Instead, they want a sign. Show us a sign. They were empathetic. Show us a sign. We want a sign. What were they expecting? Well, what were they expecting? Jesus had already done a miracle in Canaan. I'm sure the word spread down, and he does this cleansing of the temple. How much more of a sign do they need? Well, if they're like me, I pray to the Lord, Lord, show me a sign that it's you by writing it in the sky. Uh, airplane comes by, and he writes it in the sky. And I go, wow, now turn it red. Won't be satisfied with a sign that I see. But they wanted a sign. What did they expect? Did they expect Moses to come back and do all the signs that happened in Egypt? Did they expect fire to come down from heaven a la Elijah? What was it that they expected Jesus to do? The crazy thing here is that the leaders should have helped Jesus clean the temple. The leaders should have been right beside him and helping him clean the temple, but they weren't. Sadly, most of the religious leaders were false shepherds who only exploited the flock of God. And by cleansing the temple, Jesus now declares war on the very ones who should have known better. Anyone who has a privilege from God to teach God's word needs to take it extremely seriously because Scripture says you will be judged harsher than others because you're responsible to take God's Word and give it out correctly. 
you read, I think it's Ezekiel 34. Because, yeah, it's Ezekiel 34, how God feels about false shepherds. Take a read through that and see how God feels about false shepherds. Prove yourself. Show us. We don't assign. Jesus says, okay. Verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. What? Do what? To where? How? Can you imagine the look on their face? It took them by surprise. Now, Jesus usually refuses to give a sign when asked for one. You know, he complained about his enemies, how they knew the weather because of the sky. You remember? When the sky is red in the morning, you know that. And when it's red in the evening, you know all those things. But you're not able to recognize the sign of the times when they're before you. Or in the Gospels, when he's asked for a sign, he gives them one sign and one sign only, which helps today's thing, the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so must the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth for three days, referencing this. I wonder if Jesus pointed to himself when he said this. Because you, you've read the Scriptures. You know where we're going with this. I wonder if he said, destroy this temple. I wonder if he hit his chest. Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it in three days. Destroy this temple. I'll raise it. You destroy it, I'll raise it. Remember, the Greek word for temple was naos. It meant the holy of holies, a place where God exists, where God rests. He made this incredible declaration, and the Jews were like, huh? You destroy it, I'll raise it up. He didn't do a miracle immediately to convince them of something, but he gave them a sign of something to come. That's what a sign is. A sign is of something to come. The sign that he gives is one of his own death and resurrection. And this would be his last sign. If they would not be convinced what they heard, what they saw, they're just going to have to wait. They were just going to have to wait. This great sign proves him to be none other than their Messiah. He fulfilled the prophecies that were foretold by Isaiah that he would be bruised, Isaiah 53, 5. That he would be cut off, Daniel 9, 25 but yet he wouldn't see corruption, Psalm 16.10. These things were fully fulfilled in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, truly, he was and he is the Son of God. And he had the authority to clean the temple, his father's house. One commentator says this, and I love this. Quote, there is irony in the fact that ultimately the Jews themselves would be the means of bringing about the sign they asked Jesus to produce, which they did not recognize when it came. There is further irony in that to put Jesus to death was to offer the one sacrifice that can truly take away sin, thus doom the temple as a place of offering sacrifice, unquote. The Jews' reaction was priceless. The Jews' reaction was absolutely priceless. Look what they said. In verse 20, then the Jew says, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. Rebuild it in three days? What are you, crazy? It took 46 years to build this thing. Look at the stonework. Look at how massive it was. Josephus records that millions of people worked on that temple, that it was a huge monstrosity of a building, and it took lots of manpower. He says, you destroy it? <laughs> Get out of here. I'm sure they said this in a very mocking turn. And why wouldn't they? They were spiritually blind. They were spiritually blind. They completely misunderstood what was being said. Jesus gave them a sign, and it went right over the head. 
I was going to say 747, but there weren't any 747s back then. I guess it went right over the head like a flying camel. I don't know. It went right over the head. They missed it. They missed it. Instead of interpreting it in a spiritual manner, they interpreted it in a physical manner, in a material manner. We so often do that. We so often look at the things of God and try to squeeze them into a physical or a material thing. God is not material or physical. He is spirit. And we must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. God is spirit. That's what we do. That's how we do it. You can't put God in a box and expect him to act one way or the other. They were blind. Blind. So often we're so blind to the things of God. When it's right in front of our face, we are so blinded. Can't see the forest, the forest, forest for the forest for the tree of the cheese. We can't see in front of our own faces when God's right there, and it's right there in His Word. Let's finish out the two scriptures. But He, Jesus, was speaking of the temple of His body. Therefore, when He had risen from the dead, His disciples remembered that He had said this to them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. I love this about the Gospel of John. John always adds these little commentaries to help clarify things. And I've told you before, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. And we read it, and John clarifies all these things. John clarifies all these things. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. He was speaking of his own body. He was referring to his death and his resurrection. And indeed, both people, both parties, the Jews and the disciples, remembered this. They remembered this saying. How can I tell you? In Matthew 26, they came against Jesus during his trial and said these very words. He said he was going to destroy the temple. He said he was going to destroy the temple and raise it again in three days. He said that. Some of them came to the cross when Jesus was hanging there. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, some of them came there and said, you said you were going to destroy the temple. Come down off that cross. And they mocked him. But hallelujah, after the resurrection, the disciples remembered also. Wow. And the light went on. Wow. Wait a minute. Jesus said this. Remember? Remember when he said that? Wow. And it says they believed not only the scriptures that were talking about the zeal for his father's house, but they believed Jesus' own words. Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, I'm going to raise it up. He was talking about his body. Yeah, we get it. Yes, we believe. How cool. How cool. You know, as we look back over these verses in chapter 2, we see the disciples growing through a growing process. They're really going through a growing process. Let me show you. In verse 11, the water changed to wine, caused them to believe in him, it says. They believed in Jesus in verse 11. After the cleansing of the temple, the disciples remembered the Scripture. They remembered the Scripture that zeal has eaten, the zeal for our house has eaten me up. They remembered that. And here, in verse 22, not only did they remember, but they believed again. They're putting the two together now. They're starting to put the two together. Jesus said it, and we believe. It's coming together now. And they, and they see that this is starting to make sense. They remembered and believed the scripture of Jesus' words. You are a sure We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.